Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Amsden. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, Kevin Sumlin, Pac-12 basketball, baseball season around the corner. Let's get to it. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down. So I came into today's Devil's Junkie podcast with every intention of leading off with basketball. The Arizona State Sun Devils, uh, two and three in Pac-12 play right now, uh, fourteen and three overall on the season, uh, and we're going to get to it. We're going to talk basketball. I mean, that's uh, that's inevitable. Uh, but news uh, coming out of Tucson today uh, that Kevin Sumlin has been pinned to be the Wildcats' next head coach, and that's kind of sent a little bit of a ripple through the Sun Devil community for good reason, and we'll talk a little bit about that. That's what I want to lead off with. I want to lead off with talking about how the hiring of Kevin Sumlin in Tucson affects Arizona State University. Now, the national narrative is pretty simple, that University of Arizona hiring Kevin Sumlin when ASU fans were all in on the idea of having Kevin Sumlin back in 2011, when ASU fans were somewhat in on the idea of hiring Kevin Sumlin after Todd Graham was fired uh, after the uh, the Territorial Cup win at the end of 2017, um, that that ultimately makes for egg on the face of Arizona State football um, because he chose to go to Tucson. Now, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment from the national media. I mean, the national media is never going to get, um, you know, they're taking a 10,000-foot view of everything. They're, they're not going to be uh, too into really what the details are of any given situation. That's not... Uh, that. That type of stuff isn't necessarily attractive to, you know, readers in Georgia, readers in Massachusetts, readers in North Dakota. They want to know that, okay, Arizona State fans wanted Kevin Sumlin, University of Arizona got him, um, the end. Uh, and, and that I get. I completely understand that. And I think to some extent there are quite a few Arizona State fans um, that I've interacted with over the last couple of days who seem to be saying, like, this This is kind of an embarrassment for us. Uh, others are not necessarily taking that uh, that approach to it. That could be completely um, based out of f- fandom. Uh, it could be that they're actually sold on, on Herm Edwards. It could be for a lot of reasons. Um, but I do want to acknowledge that that narrative is out there, and I want to say that to some extent it's fair. Now, it's not the whole story. It's definitely not the whole story. Kevin Sumlin was fired from Texas A&M for essentially underperforming in their West division. He chased out three starting quarterbacks in the last three years alone and lost the commitment from Tate Martell based on his hiring a former ASU offensive coordinator, Noel Mazzoni, who will be following him to Tucson. Somebody Arizona State fans are very familiar with. So, you have a coach that essentially, a lot like Todd Graham, a lot like Rich Rodriguez, didn't necessarily meet expectations and 
has to find a, a, a new place to coach. Now, you might say to yourself, oh, well, that's the SEC West. You know, at least he never had a season where he won less than seven games. You know, and I, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But at the same time, he, he never did anything that would cause you to say that he's going to come into the Pac-12 South with Chip Kelly, um, with uh, Coach Mack at Colorado, who just got a big raise, with with Whittingham, who was the only Pac-12 coach to coach his team to a bowl victory uh, last year, with a, ta- a talented group in the Pac-12 South, where I would say that the talent deficit outside of the quarterback position um is vast as far as the University of Arizona. There's nothing that really indicates, based on Kevin Sumlin's time at Texas A&M, that he's going to come to Tucson and have an immediate world-beating impact. This was an available coach. There have been spots open all over the country. Kevin Sumlin's name has been linked to countless jobs including other jobs in the Pac-12 South. People talked about him being a fit at Arizona State. People talked about him being a fit at UCLA. Yet the last open job, a job that was only open because Rich Rodriguez carried on an extramarital affair over a long period of time that apparently assistant coaches were well aware of and did nothing to intervene... Uh, that Rich Rodriguez not only underperformed and had Khalil Tate essentially save his job this year, but lost assistant coach after assistant coach in his last three seasons to lateral moves, a position that was only open because the wheels fell off in Tucson. That's something that you have to acknowledge, that University of Arizona wouldn't even be able to spike the football on Arizona State as far as making a coaching hire with a coach that some Arizona State fans were sold on the idea of having if they didn't have their third major sports scandal in the last calendar year. The only reason they're in this position to say, no, 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 we got a coach that you wanted, is that... They have an immense amount of scrutiny and negative media attention relating to possible sexual harassment and assault allegations outside of an FBI investigation and a track and field situation in which the coach was abusing his power over female athletes. So on one hand, congratulations, you got your coach. On the other hand, it's in in the midst of what? Things aren't great in Tucson. So, it makes sense. It makes sense that a coach that was in demand, but again, available, you could say that he was waiting things out, or you could say that other people essentially made the decision that they didn't want somebody who underperformed in the SEC West, who chased away three quarterbacks, chased away a top-level quarterback commit, whose crowning jewel at the school was Johnny Manziel, who left that school with massive red flags and warning signs that he had drug and alcohol abuse problems, which he carried over to the NFL and essentially proved a lot of those people right. All happened under Kevin Sumlin's watch. 
you could say that there's potentially some red flags there. That there's a reason that he was available. Now, is Kevin Sumlin a good coach? Absolutely. At Houston, he helped Case Keenum throw for almost 20,000 yards in five and a quarter or four and a quarter uh, eligible seasons. Johnny Manziel might be the best college football quarterback I have ever seen. Um, I think that I think that this is a this is definitely an interesting call for them. Will he help in recruiting? Um, I, I think that they'll have connections and a pipeline into Texas that they didn't before. You've seen the effect that that's had on Arizona State football and the people that they've been able to pull out of Texas, and it'll be interesting to see if Arizona State can sustain some of the relationships that had with Texas schools under Todd Graham's tenure. That'll definitely be a battleground. Now, has Kevin Sumlin taken some top talent from the state of Arizona? Was that a thorn in the side as far as the, the Todd Graham era? Yes. But what was his success rate with those players? Let's take a look at that. Christian Kirk, obviously... Leaves early, going to probably be a first-round pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. That one stings, for sure. Uh, Quaylen Cunningham, whose father went to Texas A&M, so it all sort of worked out the way it probably would have, regardless of whether or not Kevin Sumlin was the coach. Quaylen Cunningham went in and, and started out at Texas A&M by getting big snaps in a defensive line rotation as a true freshman. Four years later, we're talking about him getting two to four snaps per game, being completely buried on the depth chart when he was supposed to take over for Miles Garrett. Priest Willis, who committed to UCLA over ASU and then ultimately transferred to Texas A&M, same thing. Handful of snaps when he wasn't injured. Never made a name for himself. Never grew his brand or whatever it was that he had set out to do. Kyle Allen? He didn't really have anything positive to say about Kevin Sumlin after transferring after two years of starting at quarterback for them. He could have stayed and been Kevin Sumlin's starting quarterback, and he would rather have sat out a year than started for Kevin Sumlin. Sat out a year, went to Houston, started, ended up getting benched four games in, and has declared early for the NFL draft. So you have four top players from the state of Arizona that went to Texas A&M. One fulfilled their potential. One transferred, two were AWOL by the by the end of their college careers. So yeah, the fact that he was able to pull that talent, that's a plus. The fact that that talent didn't develop, that it all sort of bends into a narrative uh, that he couldn't keep a quarterback, that Kyler Murray left, uh, Kenny Hill, Tate Martell, that there were issues with discipline, arrests, the whole Johnny Manziel thing, the rumored relationship between Jake Spavadol, the former offensive coordinator, and Kevin Sumlin, and Spavadol left for Cal. Dave Christensen, Arizona State's current offensive line coach, who only lasted one year under Kevin Sumlin. Same as under Todd Graham, same as under Rich Rod. Obviously, these head coaches aren't out to make friends, but at the same time, you have to look at some of those things and say, oh, here's what we didn't like in Rich Rodriguez. How is it going to be different with Kevin Sumlin? How is it going to be different? 
Texas A&M is a school where 100,000 people showed up to see them play Nickel State in the second week of the season. In University of Arizona's fourth game last year, with an undefeated Utah coming in, during kickoff, stadium was half empty. Were there 100,000 people out seeing Texas A&M because Kevin Sumlin was the head coach of an underperforming school in which he was already on the hot seat? In which he had already had Board of Regents members calling for his job on social media? No. Those fans come out, rain or shine, win or lose, because they've built up that system of support. They were the 12th man before the Seattle Seahawks, and regardless of whether uh, Kevin Sumlin is the coach or Mike Sherman is the coach, they they have that support. They have the type of support to be able to throw $75 million at Jimbo Fisher. So if we're being honest, Kevin Sumlin... I mean, that, that's a good hire for University of Arizona, and he will, I believe, improve their recruiting to some extent. But you don't have a track record of him winning Power 5 football championship. He's never—Rich Rod has a Pac-12 South title. Todd Graham does. Kevin Sumlin didn't even win his division within— the SEC, not one time. So if you have your mind made up that this was just an absolute knockout hire and embarrassment for Arizona State and puts the entire Pac-12 South on its heels, based on what? Based on what? Can you recruit? Yes. Can you develop those players? Can he win with the recruits that he gets? Haven't seen it yet. Is he fully committed to Tucson? Was he even their first choice? Ken Niamatololo from Navy reportedly turned down this job before they announced Kevin Sumlin as their head coach. Did they even want Sumlin as their primary target? Did they have some of the exact same concerns that I'm talking about right now that would lead them to want a coach to come from Navy over someone to come from the SEC West and Aggieland? How often is a home run really a home run? When, when, when you say, oh, this is, a, this is a great hire, it's a great hire. You could have made the same argument that Rich Rod, who coached West Virginia within one game of going to a national championship, who was at Michigan, was a much more attractive hire than Todd Graham back in 2011. Now, I'm sitting here making logical arguments for not necessarily being overjoyed about Kevin Sumlin being at Arizona. I'm not going to turn around and tell you Herm Edwards is a great hire for Arizona State. I have no track record or evidence to back that claim up. But what I can say is if you were looking at Todd Graham versus Rich Rod back in 2011, you would have said that Arizona won that. As far as head-to-head, who made the big splash with a hire. But in the end, if you don't win, it doesn't matter. You were a bad hire if you do not win or elevate the program. 
Did Rich Rod elevate the program in Arizona? I mean, he brought Khalil Tate on, and they have an opportunity to compete anytime he's on the field, so maybe. Did Todd Graham elevate Arizona State? Yes. Can't argue that. I mean, I suppose someone out there might want to, but that's not an argument you're going to win. Was that elevation sustainable? Were people confident in Todd Graham moving forward? No. People might have wanted to give him more time to see if he could do it, but I don't think anybody would make the argument that he was in the process of elevating the program still. But my point is this. Every single one of these hires that seems great, Chip Kelly to UCLA, Jimbo Fisher to Texas A&M, Kevin Sumlin to Arizona, it doesn't mean anything if they don't win. Not a single thing. Winning the press conference is fine, but ultimately history takes a long view. And University of Arizona has put themselves in an interesting situation where they're so confident about this hire, not only individually, but in the face of what it means for Arizona State and how embarrassing it must be for people in Tempe, that there's no upside. If you beat Arizona State with Kevin Sumlin as your head coach and Herm Edwards as Arizona State's head coach, you were supposed to, and it's Ray Anderson's fault for the moves that he made. If Herm Edwards beats you, how terrible do you look based on the stance that you've taken? For Arizona State, a program that is not rebuilding, I wouldn't say that they're reloading. They're attempting to improve, but they have a solid roster. They have a solid chance at winning next year. Every single team that loses to Arizona State is going to be embarrassed about it. Because nobody thought this Herm Edwards hire was anything more than a guy hiring his buddy who had no recent qualifications. Arizona State can only impress. Because everything that they do poorly is just proving some pundit correct. They can only impress. They can only go uphill. University of Arizona is now in a situation where if they don't get the Territorial Cup back next year, it's a complete, utter failure and embarrassment for that entire program. There are no excuses. You have Kevin Sumlin. You have the coach that ASU wanted. You have Khalil Tate. Every single loss that you take is going to be an embarrassment. Because you got the best coach, right? You can only lose with Kevin Sumlin as far as your relationship to Arizona State. Any recruit that picks ASU over U of A is an embarrassment for Kevin Sumlin. Any game that ASU wins against U of A is an embarrassment for Kevin Sumlin. If Herm Edwards puts his pants on correctly, there are going to be people that are impressed at ASU. That is how low the confidence is from some people in the national media and some people that support the Arizona State Sun Devils. I'm not judging whether or not that's the correct perspective. I'm just saying that's how it is. So good luck in Tucson with Kevin Sumlin, who never won his division within his conference, 
who chased away quarterbacks, who was recently fired and was definitely available, and was the person that you had to settle with because Navy's coach turned you down, and the only reason you were looking for a coach in the first place is that your head coach was having a torrid affair that other assistants covered up, and it happened in the wake of two other major scandals. So, good luck. All right, moving on. Let's talk basketball. And to talk basketball, uh, I'm going to bring in Devil's Digest publisher, Hode Rubino, who uh, is has been an excellent resource as far as what Arizona State has been able to do as far as um, reinvigorating what I believe to have always been a basketball town that has experienced down year after down year after down year with the Phoenix Suns, uh, we're seeing exactly what basketball means to this city in the energy that that is brought out to GCU every night, in the energy that is at Wells Fargo Arena. Um, I mean, you, you've obviously you've seen the energy surrounding University of Arizona's basketball program for the last twenty years since they won their um, national championship, and even before that with Lou Dawson. People here love basketball. You just have to give them the opportunity to show that they love basketball. And Arizona State University has done that. And so I'm um, excited to bring in Hode Rubino, uh, who um, at the time that we recorded this was on his way back from Wells Fargo Arena, the bank, uh, after Arizona State's 77-75 win over Oregon State University. All right, so I got the man that pays the bills, uh, Devil's Digest publisher Hode Rubino on the line to talk some ASU basketball after a big win today over Oregon State at Wells Fargo Arena. The bank, they're calling it now, 77-75. How you doing, Hode? I'm doing good. I'm going to take a page out of your book, and uh, we'll close the road back from Tempe as I'm driving back after uh, ASU's 77-75 win over Oregon State. Uh, I don't think I'm being overdramatic saying this win uh, probably saved the season. What is the environment like? Can you compare it to anything in your you know decade and a half plus of covering Arizona State athletics? The atmosphere inside Wells Fargo Arena. Um, for a game against Oregon State, for a game against Oregon in, in early on in Pac-12 play, have you seen anything like this? I really haven't. I really haven't, Ralph, because even the James Harden years, I'm sure he got uh, obviously the sellout crowd for UA, UCLA um, near sellout. But really, a, lo- a lot of Pac-12 games, even in the James Harden years, and this is uh, while capacity was still the original fourteen thousand one hundred. There were a lot of games that were far, far from a sellout, um, even though you had one of the best players ever in Sun Devil basketball history uh, playing uh, every every night in St. Pete. So um, I, I feel that um, this is probably the uh, most consistent we've seen um, ASU in terms of attendance being over 10,000. Uh, the last three non-conference games were over 10,000 uh, each, or I think one was, one was just, just under 10,000, but definitely averaged over 10,000. And um, here we are, uh, Oregon and Oregon State, definitely not juggernaut of the Pac-12 uh, this season. And both of them were over uh, 13,000 uh, in attendance. Um, granted, the atmosphere for Oregon State was probably less electric, if you will, compared to Oregon, but uh, still, uh, it, was, it was a strong crowd. And the way Arizona State played today, uh, they definitely needed that crowd to come through. And uh, so the, the atmosphere... 
is probably the best that I've seen since I started covering ASU uh, some 17, 18 years ago, just because of the consistency, because I don't remember ever seeing um, five um, games by the Sun Devils that average, I would say at this point, probably over 1,000 a game. So definitely um, a weird, but, uh, weird good way uh, for Arizona uh, State basketball to support. Are we, I mean, is the Phoenix Metro, because I, I know how you followed the Suns and you see what's going on at GCU, you see what's going on at Arizona State. Is it fair to say Phoenix is a basketball town? It's just been dormant for such a long time because of what's going on with the Suns, but I feel like I feel like there's room for good basketball at any level, and I think that with Bobby Hurley bringing it, I, it was just a matter of time. It feels like this was always... Uh, potential, not something that's only happening uh, because of this year. But I, if had had they gotten good under Sendek, you probably would have seen a lot of this same the same energy. Am I wrong? No, I, I think absolutely right, Ralph. Uh, under Sendek, there really there was never consistency. I mean, obviously James Harden was here for, was here for two years, and I think even in the first year, even though ASU had a twenty win season and Harden was playing very well, I think the fans were maybe still start filling out the program. And by the time they figured out who James Harden was, he was gone um, after you know after two years of playing here and playing in the Valley. Uh, but, but absolutely, I think uh, there's, there's, definitely a, there's definitely a good crowd for basketball. I think in the grand scheme of things, when you talk about economics, it's still a much more affordable ticket compared to any pro sports that, that, that's out there. Um, they um, sold um, 800 mini packs, so I think it's tickets for uh, for three games, uh, and um, able to able to sell those really well with a lot of. Um, Saturday games rather than Sunday ones. Um, that, that also helps too. So I really think you just have uh, a conglomeration of uh, factors, if you will, that are really helping Arizona State uh, draw more, you know, the best they have uh, definitely, definitely this decade. And um, absolutely, I think uh, to call Phoenix a football town or a basketball town is, is definitely misguided. Uh, I lived here since 1990, and so I still uh, remember uh, the Sun State with Charles Barkley and how this valley um, was absolutely on fire uh, when it came to basketball support. So it's the pro level, the college level. Uh, it's definitely, um, you know, when, when it will come type of crowd, which isn't always the greatest proposition, but when you're doing as well as Arizona State is doing these days, uh, it, you definitely expect it to reap the benefits, and that's exactly what we're seeing right now in Tempe. Now, these last couple of games, you have uh, ASU 2020 uh, commit Kyrie Walker out at the games. You have uh, uh, a pretty big-time recruit in 2018, Tayshawn Cherry, out at these games. You have the crowd chanting, uh, we want Cherry. Um, you know, you, you just the recruiting alone for, for ASU basketball. I had Greg Rosenberg on to specifically talk about Jalen House and what people can expect to see in him. Um, but even the way that Greg Rosenberg talks about ASU basketball, it's just these are players, the, the, the types of players that they're getting in are the types of players that you see ESPN go and set up cameras so that they can broadcast two or three of their high school games. Um, what's it been like just to watch? Uh, I, mean, I mean, obviously I've been around this program as well, but I'm, I'm curious from your perspective what it's been like to watch Arizona State going from looking for guys who were the right fit to, to you know, to, to essentially like having to tell people who were top 100 players, no thanks, we're full up. I think that things are really kind of going according to plan. And I know it sounds crazy to say that uh, when Bobby Hurley is only in the middle of 
this is the third year in Arizona State, but we all believe that the name Bobby Hurley does have a lot of cachet to it. Now he becomes a disclaimer, and I know you talked a lot about it in football, but it applies to basketball too, that the 17, 18-year-old kids obviously don't know who Bobby Hurley is. Their parents do, their coaches do. So when, when you have Bobby Hurley on the phone or Bobby Hurley in their living room or in their high school, then those coaches and those parents are, are telling are telling the prospect, you, you, you better pay attention to what's going on right now. And obviously with uh, the use of the internet, uh, you, you, you can pop in you know, a, a YouTube video, uh, you can show a D60 feature on Bobby Hurley, and now the prospect gets, gets, gets to know who Arizona State head coach is and what, and what kind of uh, credibility he brings to the table, which is obviously at a much higher level than, than most, if not all, Pac-12 uh, programs out there. So I think what you're seeing recruiting-wise is really what we expected to see from Bobby Hurley. I mean, sure, he needs to win. Even though Bobby, Hur- Bobby Hurley's first two years at Arizona State uh, haven't been anything to write home about, um, the coaches and the um, and the parents of this prospect know that Bobby Hurley is building something special in Tempe, and it, and it might, might take a little time for it to uh, manifest itself, but, but it is happening. And obviously, you know, right now still being uh, ranked right in the top 25, ranked number three up until a couple weeks ago, uh, when, when Bobby Hurley says that he's building a stout program over here in Tempe, uh, it's something that's definitely not falling in deaf ears just by, just by watching uh, the trajectory of this program and watching what they're able to, able to achieve. So, um, I, I mean, not, not that any shape should take it for granted, but at the same time, uh, just with Bobby Hurley's name and the results we're seeing right now on the court, um, you should expect to see prospects like Deshaun Cherry and uh, Kyrie Walker uh, giving Arizona State a strong look, let alone committing, uh, being something that's going to be more commonplace than a rarity. Now, uh, th- this is a question that I, I don't, I'm not excited to to ask you because I, I think it's kind of, it's early and Arizona State, uh, you know, they, they lost three of four after winning 12 straight. And so it's all, it's all, it doesn't necessarily, it, it's all about perspective. It's, had, had, had the losses been peppered in in non-conference play, I don't think anybody is clamoring to get this answered, but what's wrong with Arizona State? What, what did they run into? Because, I mean, I have a theory, and it really has to do with the fact that if depth isn't great, everything has to be firing on all cylinders at all, all the time to be competitive. But what are you seeing as far as this lull? Does it really have all to do with zone defense? Um, you know, even though Miller White, Taquan Lake, 
have played well in spots at Arizona State. They're both newcomers to the program, and uh, that's something that uh, we're going to come up with more with experience. Um, you know, as far as depth, I'm not I'm because depth for Arizona State is horrible, but obviously uh, not having Kimani Lawrence uh, play for the entire non-conference play and also missing the uh, opener against Arizona, uh, that's something that uh, did take a toll on Arizona State just because uh, you didn't have an able body uh, to really uh, make some contributions that will be even somewhat significant. Um, ironically, today against Oregon State, uh, it's the best we've seen Kamani in a game situation, but it definitely took him a while uh, to really get in the flow of things. Uh, so, um, you know, we all knew that Arizona State's going to go as far as the three senior guards are going to take him, and obviously those three senior guards have played exceptionally well and more importantly, consistently well in non-conference uh, play. And really, uh, once the Pac-12 season started, the uh, state trade holder, you know, um, not play as well in the last two games compared to the first the first three. Uh, Shannon Evans has really been, been hit and miss. I mean, today he scored uh, 22 points all in the second half, and Arizona State just squeaked by um, Oregon State with, with a two-point victory. Uh, you know, Coach Justice has been uh, also on and off. So um, I think Arizona State does have, does have to do a better job of combating the zone. But Bobby Early had a very uh, interesting comment, I felt, uh, today. He said that uh, we have to get out of the mindset that just because I think our opponent is playing a certain defense against us that we're not able to break it, we're not able to be effective. Uh, I think you saw some strides made um, against, against Oregon State in that department. But, um, you know, Arizona State, I think, is still a team that uh, we're not quite sure how to, how to figure out. I mean, winning two out of the first five games in Pac-12 play is something that you did not expect uh, from a team that uh, just uh, two, three weeks ago was number three in the country. So, um, you know, maybe uh, there's a lot of wait and see on Arizona State. Uh, uh, and see if they can really win the chess match that they're up against uh, against every Pac-12 opponent. Because even the two wins um, today at home against Oregon State and on the road against Utah uh, were definitely not resounding wins. Not wins that we saw Arizona State dominate uh, for large stretches of the contest. So um, I'm really curious to see um, what uh, what the next couple of weeks bring for Arizona State. And is it going to be a program twelve with mediocrity? Just uh, Splitting um, um, road uh, road series, uh, splitting home series, or the team that can really start to dominate uh, teams like they did in the non-conference. That's going to be really interesting to see. But uh, yeah, right now Arizona State's not in a horrible place, but uh, probably not better than just being in an okay place, if you will. I really appreciate your time, Hode. I know I, I, I think that we should probably prepare ourselves for a lot of close games. I mean, you even look at Arizona, they've, they've heated up and they needed the last couple of minutes to beat both Oregon State and Oregon. And, and, and I think that, uh, you know, there's there's definitely some parity in the Pac-12 as far as the level of coaches and, and, and even even if not necessarily the level of talent. But uh, it'll, it'll be interesting the, the rest of the way and I uh, definitely advise people to stay tuned to devilsdigest.com for all the content uh, as far as basketball, the message boards, and, and, and everything of that nature. So thank you so much, Ode. Not a problem. Thank you, Ralph. 
I absolutely appreciate everything that Hode Rubino brings to the table. Devil's Digest, um, going on three years of being part of that family. Love the community. Subscribe if you haven't. Uh, love talking sports. Um, love talking Arizona State. Love talking uh, uh, recruiting with everybody in the premium huddle. And if you subscribe to Rivals, which I believe with an annual membership is something like $8.33 a month, uh, which is well worth it. You get access to all the premium articles throughout the entire Rivals Network. That's where I get a lot of my information as I spend time reading uh, um, all of the different Pac-12 articles, uh, as well as other schools that Arizona State competes with as far as uh, recruiting and, and basketball and football. So uh, make sure that you subscribe. Make sure that um, uh, as Arizona State University experiences this resurgence in basketball and as they move forward in Pac-12 play, that you're getting yourself the best information possible by being subscribed to Devil's Digest. And speaking of Devil's Digest and recruiting in the Rivals family, I run ArizonaVarsity.com. Uh, that covers all of the, the recruiting as far as um, football and basketball in the state of Arizona. Um, and uh, my lead basketball analyst, uh, who's a certified scout who sees more basketball than anyone, has been tracking one of Arizona State's latest commits, uh, Jalen House, son of Eddie House, uh, since he was in junior high. And so I'm excited to bring in uh, lead basketball analyst for ArizonaVarsity.com and certified uh, college scout Greg Rosenberg to talk about what Arizona State is getting in Jalen House. Okay, so on the Devil's Junkie podcast, uh, I am super excited to have the lead basketball analyst for ArizonaVarsity.com, Greg Rosenberg, who sees more basketball than anybody I've ever met, uh, forgets more basketball every single day than than anybody that I know, uh, and, and has seen more of the latest commit, uh, uh, Jalen House, son of Eddie House, uh, than probably anybody in the state. So um, it's awesome to have you on, Greg. Appreciate you, you talking to me. My pleasure. Good to, have, good to be here. So um, I say we, we just get right into it. You've been watching Jalen House since, well, before he was a freshman? Probably seventh, seventh grade, eighth grade. You know, like some of the kids already you know, play up, and, you know, they're already playing up. I mean, I think he was, like, doing 16 you already, like, seventh, eighth grade, and you're like, oh, okay. He's one of those. I mean, he knew right away. And then I saw, I was actually sitting with um, – Another ASU guy, his freshman year, they inserted Jovan and Jalen into like a game against it. It was Finley Prep, when she, you know, Shadow, Shadow Mountain, and the game literally just changed. The speed of House is just uh, you see it like on YouTube and you know all those you know mixtape stuff. And you see it in person, and even the kids, they they have trouble adjusting how fast House is laterally and just straight straight speed. I mean, he's just, it's, 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 he's actually fun to watch. <laughs> now, it's, it's an interesting situation over there at Shadow Mountain for Jalen House because he's playing, he, he's sort of a, uh, uh, he's always been a point guard, but he's never necessarily been the guy because they also have a player named Javon Blackshear. They've they've been surrounded by talent since the moment they got there, but they've been playing on varsity since they were freshmen. They've been playing for Mike Bibby. Um 
and and yeah, I was at that game with you, that Finley Prep game, um, yeah. where where I mean, he he flashed his speed. Um, he he just does some things that are way ahead of his his time. Um, you know, defensively, he's so active. Um, he's just got an incredible floater and scoop shot, and uh, and and he he's never seemed to be overly aggressive or one of those kids that seeks to put up a ton of shots, even though you know that he can. What what are the things that when you see his game that you see is the the things that that stand out to the point where that you know it's really gotten him this high level recruiting attention well i just think when you could score at all three levels a lot of kids are like okay he's just a shooter he, he's just a driver he's one of those kids who could only you know, kind of pull up you know before the defense gets there he does it all like i i saw him in club when you know most people don't see you know out of town and he was on uh team harden and then and that team didn't have a lot of other guards his level. And he, I mean, he had 30 on a, a team that was nationally ranked. Um, and the, uh, it, was like, it was kind of like a Compton Magic uh, qualifier. And, I mean, he's splitting defenders, pulling up, taking it straight to their bigs, bouncing off of them, you know, and ones. Uh, just, he, he's just so quick with the ball. I, I mean, they're like, oh, what translates? Well, speed translates. I mean, you see... And I actually think it's a really good fit. Uh, I've argued with a couple people. They're like, well, we, you know, and you talk about negatives. You know, it's like he's not an elite shooter. Well, you know, neither is Trey Holt. You know, and it's like, well, he's not a pure play guy. Well, neither is um, Sharon Evans. You know what I mean? It's like all those kids are about 6'1". That's Jalen House, about 6'1". Those kids are only about, you know, 170 to 180 pounds. You know, Jalen's, you know, maybe a 160 now, but by the time, you know, they're obviously older, like those kids are in senior year in college, he's going to be about 180 pounds. And so, like, to me, what they're doing now, that's Jalen House. He's just doing it in high school. It's like he's a combination of a one and a two, and if he wants to facilitate, when he better players, he starts becoming point guards. And people just don't see that because, you know, they go one way in shadow. Um, but when he's asked to be, like, the real point guard, I've seen it. It just, you know, it's kind of like Barcelo. If you saw some of those games on Barcelo, Arizona, he was basically setting up everybody. You know, we what we saw, we just saw him shooting a lot. And, you know, that's kind of like Jalen House in some of these games. But when he's asked to do stuff, he does it. I mean, I, I just think he, he's a combination of, you know, Remy Martin, Trey Holder, uh, Shannon Evans. Obviously, he's not, you know, Cody Justice. He's not a big, you know, a big shooter. But those three quick, quick, fast starts, that is what Jalen House is, and I, I think it was kind of a, a sneaky little uh, little get there. And um, and if maybe if they could get Kyrie Walker for a year and if, earlier, <laughs> there, there, there's there's your big six four, uh, you know, whatever you want to call Kyrie, you know, kind of like Cody, the shooter combo guard, shooting guard, point guard. It doesn't even matter; he's just a, a player. Right, and you and I have talked about Kyrie Walker on on you know this podcast, and and um, the the Jalen House thing. You know, I think people people love the idea that there's going to be a legacy commit to Arizona yes. State, um, and uh-huh. and what people remember of Eddie House is he's a spark plug. He doesn't necessarily have a conscience. Um, I don't I don't see too many similarities in Jalen House's game, I see, like you, I see a lot more of what ASU is already sort of doing uh, with yeah. their, their three-guard system. I mean, he's he's as quick 
as Remy Martin, um, and he's as good with the ball in his hands as Shannon Evans or or Trey Holder. Um, he's yeah. just a, he's he's just a little bit smaller. The thing that I think people are going to be really surprised by is how under control someone that fast can be. Because when Remy Martin has the ball, he's out there kind of end-to-end, kind of throwing his body around. Um, You know, Jalen isn't necessarily always looking to get contact. He's just trying to find a way to keep you off balance defensively. Um, And so, I mean, I I was just wondering what you – what what do you see as the ceiling for somebody like Jalen? Does he come in and make an impact as a freshman? Is he that level of player? I I think – it obviously depends on the roster. You know, I mean, I, I kind of thought, you know, and going back to an, another, you know, Arizona, you know, stud like Alex Marshall, I kind of thought he would play a little more, and now the Pac-12 season's on and he's played less. Um, so I think it depends on who's on the roster. Um, you know, Remy, it just kind of, it, the, 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 the system fit what he did and what he does, what he did in high school and what he's doing in college still. And I, I kind of think House will be that role. The different Remy, Remy's a freak athlete, like freak athlete. I mean, he's and they list him at six foot. I don't even think he's six foot. You know, <laughs> you know, he's just and he's bouncy. House, but oh, but it, House is a way better score than Remy ever was. Right. So I think House will be able to score it better. Now he's not the elite, like I said, like like before, like he's not that elite shooter like Cody Justice and maybe Shannon Evans. But he's just more crafty of a score, you know, than than you know maybe Holder and Remy Martin were in high school. I mean, I, I've seen all these kids. You know, we saw them at the, the top crops, like Penguins All American camp. And I mean, Trey Holder has worked on his game. I mean, he's I'm sure you know you you covered his year. He's made dramatic improvements. Where House is already kind of really there. Yeah. The one thing he doesn't have, he's kind of like he's, he doesn't mm-hmm. have that Eddie House just wet jumper every time. But you've seen in some of these high school games, Jalen gets hot. Oh my God. You can't cover him. Yeah, oh, he's faster than you. 13, 14, starts, 15 in a oh, row. Oh, yeah. He, he hits two, three, four, like, and now you have to come up on him. Boom, he'll go right by you. And right. of course, the people he'll play with will actually finally play with, with bigs. That's the thing. Jalen's always used to, like, playing with all these little guys. He's going to have some real bigs. You know, where, uh, you know, whoever comes over there at the time. Um, you know, most of these kids, some of the kids on, on the roster are, you know, young, uh, seniors, but, you know, they have Scheibel's a freshman, only 6'9", 210. Um, Carlton Bragg's only a sophomore, so it's like, some of those kids, when he gets there, will be older, you know, and they'll be ready to catch a ball. I, I think, I can see Jalen playing right away, kind of like Remy is. I, don't, I doubt he'll but, you know, three guys are about to leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like senior guards. Right. So it actually, you know, it's kind of good for Jalen. Um, they do, and they do have Lugens Dort from Canada coming in. And Rob so. Edwards will be eligible, and he can kind of take Shannon yeah. Evans' place. Um, would you agree? Oh, yeah. Would you agree with this sentiment? Uh, Remy Martin is a change of pace player, and yeah. Jalen House is a set the pace player. Yeah, that's. That, that's that, that's pretty that's pretty accurate. I mean, see, Jalen he could be the change of pace two guy. Also, I mean, like 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 we said, just like his freshman year. <clears throat> and right. I think that's where he'll start. I think he'll start as a change of pace because I think he's the speed guy. 
you know, I mean, Remy, the funny thing, Remy will be there. Yeah. <laughs> and Jalen goes in there, you know, Remy will be a junior, right? And you know, yeah. Jalen goes a freshman year. You have those kids together? Oh, my God. <laughs> I might certainly be a faster Pac-12 backcourt. I mean, that's some serious speed. And, you know, and Jalen's a better scorer than Remy. It's kind of like Javon and, um, you know, Jalen now. So put and, him, it'll know, put him in a situation that he's already very familiar with. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, you know, Bibby knows, knows it all. And obviously, I'm sure he's friends, friendly with, with Hurley. And they kind of said, like, hey, what you guys are doing, it kind of translates to what, what they're doing. I mean, they're, they're playing fast. And in a house, you know, that's he's been doing that since fifth grade. <laughs> you know, so it's it, I think it's a, it's a good, you know, if, if there was a slow it down, half court, you know, get into the post, kick it out to the shooter, I would be like, it's a bad fit, you know. But now, with a up-tempo, all guards, basically, and, you know, uh, maybe a one or two bigs, you know, rotating, and uh, it's this is an awesome fit for Jalen. I mean, it, it fits what they want to do and fits what Jalen is, you know. So it's, it, I think it's a good marriage, you know. Hopefully it works out for both ends. Well, that's definitely what our podcast listeners will like to hear. Appreciate it, Greg, and uh, we'll check in with you anytime there's ASU recruiting news. Thank you. The resurgence in recruiting for Arizona State basketball is not something that I've witnessed in my time observing uh, this program. I have not seen a program go from 0 to 60 quite in the way that Arizona State has as far as um, you know getting – some lower level JUCO guys that wouldn't even necessarily be considered for the rivals 150 uh, to ultimately grabbing a guy in the top 50 uh, hosting four stars, five stars, things like that. Um, It's been absolutely incredible to see the transition uh, in recruiting for Arizona state basketball. One program that has never had trouble recruiting is ASU baseball. Uh, And I don't always talk baseball in this podcast, but this year more than any, the baseball program is is as intriguing as it's ever been, and not necessarily for all good reasons. Um, but uh, Justin Toscano, who's done an incredible job covering the ASU baseball program um, for DevilsDigest.com, as well as Sports 360 Arizona, is moving on to cover the Arizona Diamondbacks for MLB.com. I wanted to bring him on the podcast one last time because he was at ASU Baseball Media Day. Uh, he has incredible insight into this program, the drama that's been surrounding it, and the promise um, that also surrounds this program moving forward. Uh, and, and he's somebody I'm really, really excited to, uh, to, to bring on the podcast. So let's talk some ASU baseball with Justin Toscano. All right. So excited to have on the podcast, Justin Toscano, uh, who is winding up his awesome work that he's been doing, uh, with Devil's Digest by covering ASU baseball's media day. He also wrote a couple of feature stories, all this before he gets ready to head out and cover the Arizona Diamondbacks for MLB.com. Uh, really appreciate having you on Justin. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I really love it. So you and I left off at one of the more interesting segments I think that's ever been on the podcast, uh, talking about Arizona State baseball at the end of the season last year. And I kind of want this to serve, you know, I do want to talk about Media Day, uh, but I want this to kind of serve as a little bit of a refresher for a conclusion I think you and I both came to, which was that, I mean, yeah, they might be struggling, but it's probably never been more interesting or intriguing to A, cover ASU baseball, or B, be an Arizona State baseball fan. Because 
um, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are, who are disgruntled, uh, and there are a lot of people who are still in wait-and-see mode, um, but I, I think the one thing that everybody can agree on is this is a very critical time for Arizona State baseball. Yeah, you look at a program that finds itself sort of at a crossroads because after, you know, firing Tim Esme, they hired Tracy Smith, looked to be, you know, decent those first couple years, but getting to that first weekend and not advancing from that first weekend of the NCAA, the postseason just does not cut it for Arizona State baseball fans, as it shouldn't because of the history that this program has had. But, yeah, like you said, a really interesting time for Arizona State baseball, specifically when we last talked, we, I think there were five departures, players, you know, former players speaking poorly of Tracy Smith, but it really seemed to be just that a certain crop of Tim Esme guys that didn't like, you know, the way Tracy Smith handled things, so just really, you know, weird and unique and interesting to not only cover, but to be around, and for the fans, like you mentioned, I don't really know if anybody, if this many people at the same exact time with so many conflicting emotions flying around have been this interested in ASU baseball in a really, really long time, if, you know, ever. I mean, just, yeah, and now you mentioned media day, so it seems like this year they have a really positive vibe going forward. Tracy Smith, other than a few seniors, has all of his guys in there. And so this is make or break time, obviously. You have 16 freshmen, I think, on this team and only five seniors. So a young team that obviously is going to be expected to make mistakes, but like I said, the program finds itself at a crossroads, and if they're going, if Tracy Smith is going to do something, it's going to need to be this year or next year, you know, you, you would think he's gone. So who are the guys? I mean, who, who are the two or three central figures on which the success of this team rests heading into the 2018 season? give you the star, Gage Canning, a guy from Ramona, California, San Diego County. He's a guy who's going to be a junior this year. This will presumably be his last year at Arizona State because he had a breakout season last year. Not only was he hitting for contact and put together a lot of hitting streaks, he was actually hitting for power, which is something that he told me surprised him. And, you know, I know it surprised Tracy Smith and everybody else around the program, including the fans. And so he's really going to key this Arizona State baseball team, not only from a leadership standpoint, but on the field as well. And I'll give you a sophomore, Hunter Bishop, is another outfielder that is really talented, and if he can take that next step this year, it'll do wonders for them. From a pitching standpoint, you have Eli Lingos in the starting rotation, the guy that was kind of their quote-unquote ace last year, and the X factor, maybe, from a pitching standpoint, would be Spencer Van Skoyek, you know, a freshman, a sophomore, who last year in his freshman season was good. He showed flashes, but need to show a little bit more of that consistency. And Tracy Smith said that if he does in the season what he did in fall ball in the inner squads, that he thinks Arizona State has found an ace in him. And if you want to look from a freshman standpoint, I'm really going to be looking at the middle infield. So if guys like Alika Williams at shortstop and Drew Swift at second base, if those guys can really step up for this team because, you know, they're talented guys, but you just never know with freshmen. There's always that question mark there. You never know how they're going to react. Obviously, they'll make mistakes, but you never know how much of an impact you can expect from them. And that's going to be the interesting thing because if they can, if they 
you know, do make a considerable impact this year, you you know, if you're an Arizona State baseball fan, you're really optimistic the next two years because you have those guys in the middle infield, and you know, and then you can just stable the recruiting from there. Now, I'm I'm a uh, kind of a, a big fan of uh, some of the locals that have gone through there over the last few years uh spent a lot of time covering uh not so much anymore but before spent a lot of time covering uh baseball at the high school level all around the state and um one of the one of the play one of the last players that i i spent time covering was actually zane strand who you wrote a feature about for devilsdigest.com tell us a little bit about what's going on with him so he struck out a batter in his Sun Devil debut last year against Northwestern on a slider, and then he just felt the pop in his elbow. And you know, once he, once he, I mean, he'd never had an arm injury, so he told me that he really didn't know what to expect. But when he came out and threw, and you know, was doing the warm up pitches the next day, that he really felt the worst pain he's ever felt. So obviously, that elbow pain is ominous for pitchers. You know, it's coming. Tommy John surgery was the only option for him in terms of full recovery. And, you know, that hurt because Tracy Smith went on the record last year and said it hurt the team, especially because they had a thin, they had a thin pitching staff. And he said at Media Day a couple of days ago that it definitely, definitely hurt the team as the season wore on. But this year, I mean, he's looking to make his recovery. He should be back by sometime in March if there are no setbacks. He threw, he um, did a tossing drill, I think it was Friday, and then he's going to do his first bullpen in a couple weeks. And he's just, for him, it's just about getting back. And the intriguing thing for me about him is, I mean, you, and you covered him, is this is a guy who threw, I think, two or three no-hitters while he went to Hamilton High School and one or two of those his senior year. So he had a lot of intrigue and a lot of hype coming into ASU, a local guy, like you mentioned. And the interesting part is that he'd never suffered an injury like this. Usually you see a lot of these players with maybe nagging arm injuries or elbow injuries, but this was kind of just a freak thing that he was honest and said that he had to cope for a few days and kind of just mope around and then kind of got back on the horse. But if he can return to what he was and if they can get him back steadily throughout the season and throughout conference play, then I think he will really have a big impact as, as a reliever. I think that's where they're planning for him to go, obviously, because, um, of the pitch count, and they wouldn't want to ask him to throw six or seven innings right out of the gate, as Tracy Smith said, you know, obvious there. But um, that's the guy who can really, really help them out because he's in, you, you covered him. He's really talented. And um, it's one of those things where, you know, they have guys like Zane Strain and Jeremy McQuinn, like the, from high schools of 4,000 people that when when they're involved in what's going on in Arizona State, you just sort of unlock excitement uh, in these pockets of, uh, of Arizona, especially when the team is doing well. Um, before before we get into media day, I just want to ask you a little bit um, about kind of the parameters for what success looks like this year. Um, are they chasing University of Arizona? Are they chasing improvement? Are they chasing uh, regionals? What, what, what exactly does success look like because i i don't think that anybody's going to be satisfied with anybody getting by by the skin of their teeth uh, as far as you know we we had with football this year you know if you don't get eight wins you get fired you know oh yeah i i, I don't think people want to focus too much on what the bottom uh is but what i'm I, i'm curious 
what does success look like? Is it beating Jay Johnson's team um, more than Jay Johnson's team beats them? Um, is it placing within the top three of the Pac-12? What What do you think success would be for this team? Man, that's such an interesting question. It's so difficult. And I remember the last time we talked about Arizona State baseball, the last time I came on the podcast, we discussed what it should be for like what that team was and what we could expect going forward. And it's such a unique conversation because, in my opinion, success this year has to be just about this team alone. I know the rivalry is very, very important, but I think if you were to ask Tracy Smith, he would tell you that he's just got to lock everything down with his team first and focus on improvement there because you have so many unknowns. You have 16 freshmen, and you know he, he said it. He said it privately that they're going to be building a lot of freshmen on the diamond this year, and those guys will make mistakes. But if you know this is this new wave, this new recruiting class, and you know even Arizona guys in it, like you know Drew Swift and Boyd Vandergooy and local guys, and he's trying to create this new wave, and it's almost like people argue that Arizona State baseball didn't need a culture change. But Tracy Smith would argue that it did, and this is this starting this year is his first crack at that true culture change. So I think in terms of wins, losses, obviously you have to reach 30 wins. Not doing that last year really upset fans, and you know even finishing with a losing record, you've got you've got to reach 30 wins. You've got to make the postseason because you know you figure this team has so many freshmen. But those freshmen are talented, and this is the a top five, you know, consensus top five recruiting class. And so you got to make strides there. And once you get into the postseason, just by the way that recent years happened, I think you just have to make it out of the first weekend. I think that would that would mean true success and true improvement. But although you you could argue that just getting there with freshmen would mean success. But if you look at that, you look at Oregon State last year and that run that they had and building that great team and that crazy, insane, ridiculous regular season record, which I know doesn't mean anything when you get into the postseason, but still, that was a great team that a year before last season didn't even make the postseason. So you have a talented team. like You have stories like that all through college baseball. So who knows? They could not make the postseason this year and then come back two years from now and go to the Super Regionals and the College World. You never know. It's it's just so it's so tough to predict. And, you know, the parameters of success, it's just such a it's such an interesting conversation because there are so many there are so many factors that go into it. But I think it has to be um, instead of beating Arizona, you would obviously like to beat Arizona, but I think you just have to be focused on placing in the top half of the Pac twelve, improvement from that standpoint, making the postseason, goals like that, because if you're going to be starting a you know a new wave and a new culture change of this program i think it has to start with that and has to start from within and i'm my personally one thing that 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 would show improvement uh and and would ultimately result in in success that didn't necessarily have to do with results on the field but could translate is if some of that dugout drama that just naturally occurs during the course of the season can avoid making its way out onto social media i think that'll be um uh, I would consider that a victory for Arizona State after the last couple of seasons. So I want to get into um, yeah. oh. the, the question I'm most interested in is um, Media Day, you had pointed out that there were a couple of things that really intrigued you, and I just want to let you run with this. Um, what stood out to you uh, 
something maybe something Tracy Smith said, maybe the vibe around the team. But what uh, what are the things that most stood out to you uh, about Arizona State's uh, 2018 baseball media day? Yeah, well, on um, actually the first thing that stood out to me, and kind of picking off piggybacking off of your last point, we had to sign waivers to be there because apparently there's going to be a documentary team doing like a docu series that they're gonna is that is that weird? Have you ever seen that before for a college baseball team or a college team you've covered? I mean, I don't, I didn't know what to think about it. I don't know if it's. A good I mean, idea is it th- is it through Pac-12 networks or is it outside? No, I heard it was. I this is this is just what I heard. I don't know, could be completely unclear, but I heard that Tracy Smith's son is one of the people on the crew, and it's just a. I think they're independent. They said they were trying to get it on Netflix. Interesting. It's definitely yeah, interesting. I don't know. If, yeah, that's like because if you talk about such a young team, like how how much will the cameras be? You know, like I, isn't that like isn't that unique? I mean, I yeah. Don't, I mean, I don't do you do you happen. do you want? Any peripheral? Do you even want to open the door to any other possible peripheral issues when peripheral issues have sort of been the bugaboo? Um, but at the same time, how great could it be for Arizona State if they are successful? Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Ooh, risk reward for sure. And and I think and I think going to what stood out to me next, I think that was the thinking and Tracy Smith allowing this to happen is that when I talked to him for a big story I wrote over kind of over the summer. He told me pretty bluntly that just that he felt more confident that this group, and he says at media day too, that this group this season would have a better chance of handling that adversity than last year's team did. Just because, just because of the personalities, and because some of the you know you could some of the Tim Esme guys didn't you know were more strong willed and didn't like the way Tracy Smith was doing things. And you know you could see it, and it boiled out to that to all that drama and all that social media and. Even people who don't follow the program as much picked up a hold of that stuff because it, it got out. And I think that what stood out to me was how this team seems completely different. And I try to avoid I try to avoid falling into that kind of that PR trap of all well, it's like a clean slate and you know but I did I did sense a different vibe around this group. I feel like a lot of these new recruits just have a different personality than the teams I covered in the first three years, you know, the last three years since since Tracy Smith's been here, and I think, I don't know what it is, I think they're just, I think there's more of a standard that's set, because, you know, they're recruited by Tracy Smith, they're here for a reason, he wants a, not only a championship mentality, but what he had an issue with, and that he told me, was that he felt like ASU Baseball needed that culture change, because it was always about getting to the MLB draft, and not that it shouldn't be, but just that he wanted a more team-centric mindset, which I guess you can see, and it seems like there's more of that this year. I definitely felt that vibe. And another thing that stood out was just, that I've mentioned, all the unknowns. You know, it's like, it's so weird, and you, you more than anybody, probably know this covering, you know, athletes in high school and recruiting. There's just so many, and I saw you comment on the Kevin Sumlin thing on Twitter about how, you know, there were maybe one Arizona recruit that he got the full potential out of. You just never know with freshmen, you know? It's just a big question mark. So these guys could be a consensus top five class and then stink it up. I mean, you, you never know how focused they'll stay. You never know. You never know about the leadership aspect. You, know, you, just, you just never know. I could see this team being top half of the Pac-12. I think they should be you know if all goes well they should be but you 
just you don't you don't know. There's so many question marks. I kind of left there thinking, well, this the ceiling could be pretty high. They could come out and really impress people and make Arizona State fans proud, or it could just be you know they could be stuck in mediocrity with freshman mistakes, which with what went on last year is just I think would be viewed as unacceptable. Not that it should be, but just with what went on last year. And I kind of and another thing that struck me completely unrelated is Tracy Smith really likes business. Like the intersection of business and sports is something that uh, that ASU fans have heard all too much with the new leadership model. But um, Tracy Smith said that he was he wouldn't name the man because he said you know quote unquote he'd be embarrassed if I named it. But he said he's been working with somebody who's you know top ranked and trying to like turn around companies and you know working with CEOs and stuff like that. And so if Tracy Smith is like that Arizona State baseball like CEO, which he's talked about Arizona State being a job where the head coach needs to be more of a CEO just because of how high profile it is, I think that's interesting because it's like you have a goal and you have leadership and top to bottom you have structure. And I don't think they've really had that the first three years he's been here. And I think this year is really his crack at like, implementing what he wants to implement. I don't know. It's interesting. And I think, like, the most interesting thing you mentioned at the, the forefront of our conversation is just that this program, with all that happened last year, it was interesting for so many, like, bad reasons, but for a few good reasons, too. And I just don't, you just don't know where to place this program because in an ideal universe, you would like these freshmen to have a clean slate and a clean opportunity to make names for themselves but it's just human nature for fans to to worry or to you know maybe put them behind the eight ball just because of what happened last year. And I don't think you should disenfranchise fans for saying that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. And, and, and I think the interesting thing about this is once I think once you have success, you expect success, and it doesn't matter how long ago that success was, in your mind, you're as bad as you've ever been and you're as good as you've ever been. And so, you know, as somebody who's an Arizona Cardinals fan, you know, we are, we're the team that went 4-12 and every year and the team that went to the Super Bowl. And so you, you understand the parameters of what you have seen. And so I think what Arizona State did last year is they kind of set a baseline for what people are afraid to be again but can now realistically envision. And that scares people into saying like that they, they, they want to change or a change is necessary. Um, and at the same time, they're remembering eras of old, you know, under Pat Murphy and even before that when, when things uh, were even better. And so people have this picture in their mind of um, – uh, uh, you know, of, of all of these potentialities and what's interesting uh, about this team is um, I think that I think that in this case, both people's fears and aspirations are completely probable. Like these are actual probabilities and um, really, really looking forward to, uh, you know, even though you're covering the Diamondbacks, your take uh, throughout the season um, on some of the stuff that's uh, that's going on and, and looking forward to seeing how this season unwinds. Yeah, yeah, no, it should be. It should be a really fun season to cover. Like you said, there's just so many emotions with fans and I've 
heard so many different takes from fans, but I haven't really shot any of them, been able to shoot any of them down, you know, because I can't blame you if you're so concerned. Even though this is a new roster, I can't blame you if you don't think Tracy Smith is the guy because they had some pretty darn talented teams, you know, that those first couple years that didn't make it out of that first weekend. And if you say, like, well, this is a new roster, let's see what he can do. I'm with Ray Anderson, I'm with Tracy Smith. I, I can't blame you. You know, it looks it looks optimistic just from a ranking standpoint, recruiting standpoint, and just from a vibe. And everybody's, all the players have said that the clubhouse, you know, nature is just so much better this year. So it's like, I can't really fault anybody's opinion because it's all, I can see how people are dipping into both ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time, Justin, and, and, and look forward to seeing you progress. Excellent young reporter. Thankful for everything he's done for Devil's Digest. Looking forward to seeing what he does for MLB.com and uh, in the future. Justin Toscano, man. Have a great day. Thanks, Ralph. Thanks for having me on. Very, very thankful for everything Justin has brought to the table for Devil's Digest and looking forward to uh, seeing what he does after after he moves on. He's a very talented uh, young writer, and as you experience on the podcast, very engaging young man. And so a bright future what, wherever he goes and whatever he does. Uh, it, I'm I'm definitely more intrigued than I ever have been um, about ASU baseball just because there's so much pressure there. Um and while Tracy Smith has been telling people to, you know, exercise patience and that they're changing the culture and everything like that, um, so you know, some of these culture shifts that they're combating uh, seem to also be inevitable with just sort of the days of uh, of social media and and being able to air your grievances and with all the pressure to to go pro and with all the pressure to succeed and and with everything that's going on with ASU baseball, there is just absolutely not a better time to be t- paying attention to that program because win, win or lose. They're going to evoke a ton of emotions and a ton of discussion. Uh, this is just absolutely a make-or-break year, and no matter what happens, I mean, if 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 they're good, then you get to witness part of the the, the transition and ultimate cultural transformation um, of, of ASU baseball into a new era. And if not, then you get to speculate on who the person will be to to, to bring that to ASU. And so, um, I really hope you're paying attention. Definitely going to miss Justin Toscano, but stay tuned to Devil's Digest for for baseball coverage this year. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, the last thing that I want to do um, on, on this week's Devil's Donkey podcast is I would like to introduce you to a young man who is probably going to be, if not a regional uh, recruit, at the very least, possibly a national recruit in Williamsfield's Noah Pola Gates. Now, Noah Pola Gates is a physical corner out of Williamsfield High School, plays for Steve Campbell, who played for Arizona State, and um, he's really started to make a name for himself. He's somebody who, uh, you know, is out at these workouts, and people see how big um, he is. They see his physique, uh, they see his speed, and uh, and they see the, he's got a little bit of a coachability to him that people like. And you're going to start to see some of the offers pouring in for him. But I'm telling you, this kid is much better in pads than he is outside of him. He is physical. He likes to mix it up. And he's definitely somebody that should be on Arizona State fans' radar. So uh, I'm going to bring in Noah Polagates of Williamsfield High School to talk about his recruiting, his Arizona State offer, and what he's looking to do from here. Okay, so joining the Devil's Junkie podcast, I have Noah Pola Gates. 
uh, out of Williamsfield High School. And if that sounds familiar, uh, you've got a couple of players from Williamsfield on Arizona State's roster right now. Kate Cote, Brandon Ruiz, and of course, head coach Steve Campbell is a quarterback for Arizona State back in the day. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Noah. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. So you you just recently got an offer from Arizona State. How did that come about? Because I know I've talked to you on the sidelines of games before, but how did it come about that you ended up actually getting that offer? Um, it's been we my coaches have been talking to the ASU coaches for quite some while, like ever since last season, and trying to offer me in off season and how my schooling has been, and then. Once Todd Graham left, uh, Herm Edwards and his new coaching staff, they saw film on me and they said that they wanted to offer me. So, and, and this is after after Graham left and Herm Edwards is in, and so he reaches out to your coaching staff. You get Donnie Yontis reaching out to you and letting you know that uh, that offer's legit. And you said things have kind of changed for you as far as some of the attention that you've been getting. How, uh, how have things changed? Um, they've changed around my family, my schooling, like just people look at me at school differently and my family, they look, they look up to me. And is that, you feel like, you feel like that's added pressure or, or is it just feeling just a little bit more love? uh, It adds a little pressure, but it's love with it as well. So tell me about uh, tell me about your time at Williams Field and a little bit about your game. How do you see yourself? Where do you fit in on the field? Um, to be honest, I I like playing corner and I love playing everything on the field. I love being everywhere. I just love being on the field and I just love having fun out there. And it's my happy place. From everything I've seen, you love to mix it up, and I, I, I got people reaching out to me who were out in San Antonio with you at the U.S. Army uh, Combine Camp uh, for for underclassmen out there, and, and they were reaching out to me saying that you know you you were doing really well. But from everything I've seen, um, you like to mix it up in pads. Do you do you think of yourself as a real physical type corner? Oh yeah, I love being physical. That's my number one key in my games: being physical. So tell me a little bit about what it was like out in San Antonio. Who were some of the players you got to be around? Uh, who who stood out to you, and what was that experience like for you? Um, there was a couple guys out there from Arizona, from uh, Shadow Mountain. There's some dudes from Centennial, some guys from uh, Chaparral that I realized, that I uh, recognized. But I really... I made some friends out there that are from the east side, like Louisiana, Oklahoma, over there. But it was it was a really cool experience. Now, do you envision yourself like when when you were playing football when you first started out, Pop Warner or whatever it was? Were you thinking about like I want to take this beyond high school, or are you just playing for the love of getting on the field on Fridays? Yeah, I've grown up all my cousins and. My brothers and all of us, we've just always dreamt of being in the NFL and playing at the next level. And now, so your experience with with Arizona State, and I know you're, you've kind of kept an eye on them as they're going through a transition. What's your impression of Herm Edwards and the new facilities and everything they've got going on down there? Um, 
their facility is very nice. I like. I would. I would not mind going to ASU. And I from the from. I don't even know how to say it, but um, from from other people that I've heard that Herm Edwards is a really good coach, and he's just. Yeah, he's just a good coach. And you have that experience of having somebody who who went to Arizona State as your head coach. What does uh, coach What does Coach Campbell tell you about the the experience of being an Arizona State alumni? Um, he said that it's a very family based like type of experience, and that he brings that to Williamsford as well as he did when he was at ASU. So you're already getting a little bit of that uh, because it's something that he brought over to the high school side. Yeah. Are there are there any other schools after after you got that Arizona State offer? Do you start to get followed by other coaches on Twitter? Are you starting to get people reaching out? Uh, yes, I have. I had coaches from Penn State, Colorado, uh, Notre Dame, um, Oregon, Washington. What's it like? What's it like when you get you you see like Notre Dame or Penn State or something like that? You see a coach follow you on Twitter. What's what's that feeling like when when that your phone buzzes? You look down and it's like Coach whatever is following you. What's that like? It's very. Um, I don't want to say shocked, but it's like kind of breathtaking because I've kind of always dreamt of this moment ever since me and my cousins were little and we were all playing ball at the park. We've just dreamt of this ever since we were little. And now you talk about, you know, dreaming of this, but there's also the other side of it. You you start getting offers, then everybody knows your name, and then the target's kind of on your back. Is that something you oh, feel yeah. like you'll you'll be able to thrive on at, at, at Williamsfield, people knowing – um, you know, hey, you're one of those guys, and and obviously yeah. they, you know, some people could shy away from it, and other people could try to challenge you. Is that something you're looking forward to? Oh, I, I love when I have competition and people gunning for me. It just gives me fuel to play even better and show out for whoever's there. All right, awesome, Noah. I appreciate your time and and, and jumping on the podcast. Looking forward to seeing where your recruiting goes from here. And uh, as always, we'll keep the Devil's Junkies uh, listeners updated as your recruiting develops. Uh, It'll be interesting to see uh, um, how things go uh, with with Herm Edwards at the helm of Arizona State. Obviously, Kevin Sumlin coming into Arizona and everybody vying for your attention. So good luck with that process. Thank you. And thank you to Noel Polagates for uh, for being a guest on on this week's Devil's Junkie podcast. Uh, last but not least, I wanted to open it up for questions. Anybody who had questions uh, could post them on the Devil's Huddle forum on devilsdigest.com. I also put it out there on Twitter and Facebook, and so I'm going to pick a couple um, uh, right now and, and, and get you some answers if I can. So at first we have... Uh, at D Swars on Twitter, Diablo Dave, uh, wondering if we've seen an uptick in recruiting since we hired Herm Edwards. Uh, well, that, um, that's really hard to say because the dead period just ended. Um, Arizona State hosted uh, a lot of Southern California talent that basically comes through 
having Antonio Pierce as your new linebackers coach. He's really the connection there. Uh, Ashari Crosswell is somebody who's incredibly talented that I've been tracking for multiple years that is now on Arizona State's radar. There's a strong chance that you do see some... Uh, some effect of bringing in Antonio Pierce. I'm not sure any of that uptick will be directly related to Herm Edwards other than he made the choice to bring uh, Antonio Pierce on board. Um, but having those visits with just three weeks before National Signing Day is definitely um, something that that I would consider to be uh, encouraging. Some of the offers that we've seen go out aren't necessarily of the four- and five-star range that Ray Anderson outlined. Um, ASU did sort of reopen themselves to recruiting a 2019 quarterback. They had seemed to be all about Gunnar Cruz from Castile High School locally when Billy Napier was still part of the Program, but now that he's moved on, they have offered two California three-star 2019 quarterbacks, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what their strategy is there. But it's definitely still early uh, as far as re- uh, offering some of those four and five-star recruits under Herm Edwards. Um, not necessarily yet are we seeing them go after the elite of the elite. That's going to take some more time, but definitely getting some of those Southern California guys on campus, which wouldn't wasn't necessarily going on in the last couple of years of of Todd Graham, uh, that's a big deal. Also, Herm Edwards had his assistant coaches go out and hit like five high schools each. Um, I'm going to be honest, under Todd Graham, it had been years since he had ever set foot on Saguaro's campus. Um, I was there the last time he was on Chandler's campus. He landed in a helicopter. He didn't even do the boom copter thing this last year. His son is at Notre Dame Prep, where probably the best 2019 recruit is, Jake Smith. And ASU wasn't even one of Jake Smith's first 10 offers. So recruiting had completely fallen off as far as the effort locally. Um... Uh, in, in in at least making relationships, um, it, things had definitely fallen off with Chandler High. And while Chandler High was not one of the 50 schools uh, that Herm Edwards and his team made it out to, that's definitely going to be something that they have to put a renewed effort into um, to make sure that they have a, a, an open door in and a relationship with all these local high school coaches, especially with Kevin Sumlin going to Arizona when we know that he already has a relationship uh, um, with Jason Mons of Saguaro, and there's going to be an absurd amount of talent coming through Saguaro in the next two years, even more so than usual. Um, and Chandler has a lot of players, and they, they just offered a Chandler player recently, but they do need to get out to that campus and make themselves visible to those coaches now that all of the assistants are in place, including Donnie Yontis, who is now their official 10th assistant. So um, definitely something to keep monitoring. I will obviously let you know on devilsdigest.com and uh, and on Twitter ASU underscore rivals um, I'll do my absolute best to, to keep you informed uh, at Lobo Jangles um, what is the speculation or thoughts on the quarterback situation imagine someone has to transfer um, what have you heard about DSC what about Brady White I think Brady White probably sticks around having already graduated there might be some attractive options for him out there obviously Billy Napier could be in the market for a quarterback out at Louisiana Monroe um, you have Mike Norvell at Memphis you know there's um, Chip Long's in the process of moving around you have all of these coaches 
uh, that they have prior relationships with. And so if somebody was going to move on, um, I think that you probably hear some news about that as we head into spring. I'm not 100% confident that Dylan Sterling Cole will be back. I can't confidently 100% report that he's on his way out. Um, but I would think that of everybody that's currently involved right now, he could potentially be the odd man out. I expect that Manny Wilkins will start next year, leaving it to essentially be Brady White, Ryan Kelly, and Blake Barnett competing um, for that starting role after next year and competing for the number two role this year. So um, Blake Barnett, sort of extenuating circumstances, hasn't graduated yet, has a baby on the way. Um, and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see where everybody goes from here, but I think Dylan Sterling Cole probably has the most clear path um, to, to move on from here if he would choose to do so. Uh, and another question um, asked by at Lobo Jangles was... Um, uh, thoughts on Ryan Kelly um, versus somebody like Brock Purdy. I like Ryan Kelly. Um, I, he has great zip on the ball. One of the things as far as Brock Purdy, who's a local 2019 recruit that Arizona State probably won't offer, is that arm strength really just isn't there. Um, Ryan Kelly and Brock Purdy have the same speed. Brock Purdy's just kind of more of a frenetic playmaker um, type kid, great instincts, but Ryan Kelly's got the zip on the ball. He's got the speed. Remember at one point he was ESPN's number one dual threat quarterback in the country, even ahead of Tua uh, Tagovailoa, who's at Alabama now. So I wouldn't worry too much about Ryan Kelly. I think once he's healthy and, and his shoulder stuff is cleared up, we'll see him compete. We'll, we'll get a look at him, uh, in the spring. Let's see. Uh, I think we have one more question. Actually, a couple more questions. Um, from the Devil's Digest premium huddle, is Tracy Smith done if ASU baseball doesn't make it to the postseason? Well, you obviously heard from Justin Toscano, 30 wins first and foremost. Um, but I, I would say that you can definitely count on the fact that this is a make-or-break year for him. Um uh, commenter ASU on the Devil's Digest Premium Huddle, how is recruiting going for ASU basketball? Could not be better, especially in the historical context of what Arizona State basketball has been able to do. They've got guys for the 2018, 2019, 2020, and 2021 class lined up that are all elite prospects. That's four years out. Incredible. Never seen anything like it. Uh, what else? Um, what or who does ASU need to recruit in men's basketball to better compete? Um... Well, uh, they obviously had Tayshawn Cherry on campus for an official visit this last week. Uh, they struggled to rebound in in both of those games, and he's he's a big, and you know he had to see some possible use for himself. The truth is, they they need somebody who has an offensive repertoire that will also hit the boards. You don't need to be DeAndre Ayton, you don't need to be Marvin Bagley, but if you can get eight to nine rebounds a game, and you can also pull up from ten to fifteen feet, that would help disturb some of the zone defense that's being used against them right now. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, here's another question from the original Sun Devil for Life. Not sure if it's too late to get in on this, but who will be more successful over the next three years, Herm or Sumlin? It's really, really hard to project, but I can tell you right now, as I said before, there is no downside for Arizona State. The expectations are that Herm will fail and that Sumlin will uh, absolutely dominate Arizona State University. Um, and so I would have to say that the margin for error for Kevin Sumlin is actually much less, which could ultimately define what success looks like. Um, and then last question, I'd love a breakdown as to why we passed over Chandler high in our first in-state blitz. Um, 
to be honest, uh, there's members of Chandler's coaching staff who actually played with Herm Edwards in college. I expect that relationship to be very strong. It could have been a, ma- a matter of oversight, which would be absolutely ridiculous on Arizona State's part. In 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 probably the most likely case, it was a matter of strategy. Maybe they plan on focusing more on Chandler in the future. They did offer 2019 tight end Braden Lybrock. Um, this last Saturday, uh, the day after they did that whole blitz. And so um, they have their eye on what's going on at Chandler, but they do need to get out there. I can't, honestly, I don't have a reason or excuse for why they didn't. Um, That's the first place that I would go. Chandler High is um, at the absolute highest level. You know, Chandler High and Saguaro, that's where the talent is. That's where the the coaches that are very personable and have all the connections are. Um, I would be doing everything I can to text those guys every single day and make sure that the texts from coaches at Nebraska and Oregon and Oregon State and UCLA are falling further down in their phone. I mean, I would I would never leave those guys alone. Um, and I'm not just saying that as a Chandler High alum because we were terrible when I was there, and that obviously shouldn't have been the case back then. Uh, but now it is, and so uh, if that's where the talent is, that's where you've got to go. So uh, appreciate. Anybody who listens, anybody who subscribes to devilsdigest.com, you can follow the Devil's Junkie podcast on Twitter at ASU underscore Rivals. We are on Facebook. Um, You can follow me at Ralph Amson on Twitter. Always happy to engage, talk Arizona State sports, talk anything that that you might see fit, and uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. This has been the Devil's Junkie podcast. I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town